If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn in them with me once again to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Bibles are available for you on the back table if you don't have a copy of God's Word, or simply open up your bulletin and follow along as the passage, a rather lengthy passage this morning, uh, is printed in your bulletin. This will be our seventh week in our study of this historical account of the early church of Jesus, a story that by the title of this book tells us uh, a story of a church that is built through the Acts of the Apostles. But more importantly, as we've been reminded again and again, and as we will be reminded today, it's a church that's being built through the Acts and through the power of God Himself, through the Holy Spirit. Up until this point, for those of you who may not have been here, and even for viewing for those of you who have been here, up until this point in the first three chapters, we have really seen two things primarily in the church. We've seen a lot of power, and we've seen a lot of peace. A lot of peace and prosperity. But beginning in chapter 4, beginning today, in this passage that we're about to look at, Everything's about to a change. Because opposition is coming. Persecution is coming. Suffering is coming. Just as Jesus promised that it would. But this is by no means a, uh, a downer. This account this morning is not a downer. No, this account this morning is here for our benefit. It's here for our encouragement. It's here for our empowerment as we once again see in the midst of all obstacles the church moving forward and God accomplishing His work. And so listen as I read. We're going to think about this morning verses 1 through 31 of chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 31. Listen as I read. This is God's holy Word. And as they were speaking to the people, that is, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By Him, this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes about Boldness. Boldness can be elusive to us at times, especially when it comes to sales. When it comes to selling something that you particularly don't believe in selling. This has happened to us on a couple different occasions in the Hitchcock home as we have been faced with the dreaded box of fundraiser chocolates. This big box of chocolate bars that we are supposed to sell for the sake of the league. And and I could just never do it. It was always a struggle for us. Let's just pay for the box of chocolates. 
and eat on them for the rest of the year. And the ones with the almonds, they always go last because no one likes the almond ones. I don't want to go door to door peddling this overpriced, second-rate chocolate to my neighbors. I just don't have the guts and I don't have the heart. I can't be bold for that. And I'm naturally just not a very bold person. If you're my waiter or waitress and you put mushrooms in my chicken parm, I'm just going to pick them out. I'm not going to tell you that you messed up. Well, chocolate and chicken parm is one thing. But when it comes to the Gospel, at least in my life, things are a bit better. They're a bit better in terms of boldness because in terms of the Gospel, I believe with my whole heart that the Gospel is true. And therefore, I believe that the Gospel matters more than anything else. Things are also better in thinking about the Gospel because the Gospel is not something we're peddling. The Gospel is not something we're selling or trying to unload for our sake. No, the Gospel contains life for those who hear it. And so when it comes to boldness in the Gospel, I'm a bit better. But even in that, even in that, there are times, and I suspect there are times in your life as well, when your timidity, when your fear of man gets the best of you. And you end up taking the easy way out. Whatever road that may be. This passage, this account that we have before us in Acts chapter 4, is a rich passage. It contains two of maybe the most iconic verses in the New Testament. First, verse 12, that extols the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus alone. There is no other name by which you can be saved. It's a controversial verse. And then there is verses 19 and 20 that speak of civil disobedience, that sometimes the law of the land must be disobeyed if that law is contrary to what God commands His people to do. But we're not going to camp out on either of those subjects this morning because ultimately this story, this account, is a story about boldness. That's the word that's, that's repeated over and over again. That's what the disciples prayed for in the second half of this passage. They prayed for boldness. And so this account is an account that reminds us what boldness looks like, why it's necessary, where it, come from, where it comes from, and how we can cultivate it in our lives. And as a guy who is not naturally bold... I was encouraged this week. And I hope that you will be as well. Three truths guide us this morning as we walk through this account in the early church. Three things for us to think about. We're going to spend most of our time on the first one. So the second and third way won't come till later. Spend most of our time on the first one, and it's this. The weapons of this world 
are no match for God's Spirit. The weapons of this world are no match for God's Spirit. Did I hear an amen? I did. There's this classic scene in um, Indiana Jones, the first one, I believe, where um, Indiana is running through this marketplace somewhere in the Middle East. He's running for his life from a bunch of foreigners, and all of a sudden the crowd parts, and a man in a black turban, you guys with me, you remember this scene? A guy with a black turban appears, and he's wielding a sword, and it's not just a sword. It is a giant curved sword, and he's not just holding it up, but he's wielding it, whipping it all around as if to show his prowess with this weapon of death. And the people are amazed until Indiana Jones pulls out his pistol and shoots him and walks away. It's a great scene. It's a great scene because what seemed like the end of Indiana turns out to be a mismatch of epic proportions. Well, friends, that's what we have here in Acts chapter 4. Weapons are wielded But one easily rules the day. And instead of death, life comes. Let me explain what I mean as we walk through this passage. This passage, this story, is in direct continuity with chapter 3. And for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that there Peter and John, through a spoken word, and it's alluded to here in this passage that we read this morning, With just a spoken word, they healed a lame beggar who had been lame from birth well over 40 years, our text tells us. And they healed him in the name of Jesus. And as a result of this miraculous healing that we talked about and looked at last week in chapter 3, Peter seizes the attention and the amazement of all the crowd there in Jerusalem that has, has seen this amazement and that has seen this man leaping around and jumping like a gazelle, rejoicing and praising God. And so Peter seizes this opportunity to proclaim to the crowd the good news of what Jesus has done for all of them. What Jesus has accomplished. Well, that didn't go over so well with everyone who was within earshot. Particularly the Jewish leaders of the day. These were the men who were used to being the influencers of society. These were the men who were used to defining belief theologically and practice theologically. These were men who had just finished dealing just a couple months earlier with a similar rabble-rouser in their midst. A man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so in the middle of Peter and John speaking to the crowd of the glories of Jesus and what He has done for them and how His power is seen in this man, In the middle of that sermon, a group of these men, according to our text, came upon them 
greatly annoyed. Now we can envision a group of guys coming up, a polite group of leaders, waiting at the edge for Peter to finish his words in order to express their frustration and their disagreement with what is going on here. But that's not what happened. No, what happens is that the weapons of the world are brought out. The weapons of the world are wielded against those who would speak of Jesus. What are those weapons? Well, intimidation, threats, and eventually suffering. You see, these men, these leaders of the day, they came upon Peter and John suddenly. They interrupted a group of them as if to say, ho, 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 we have the power here. This is our city. And you know what? They did have the power. At least they had the earthly power. For among them is the captain of the temple. The captain of the temple was essentially the chief of the temple police. Second in command to the high priest himself. He was the one who was in charge of order in the temple courts. And then there were the Sadducees. This group of religious leaders, they were the liberal, the wealthy, well-educated elite of the Sanhedrin, the ruling party. Think the U.S. Supreme Court. The Sanhedrin were the liberal side of that. See, these men came and they interrupted and they're upset that their control is being threatened. Suddenly, they're not the only teachers in town that are commanding an audience. And not just that, but the kinds of things that these men are saying that Peter and John are talking about are in direct contradiction to what the Sadducees specifically believed. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so when Peter and John proclaimed that the resurrection of Jesus had occurred or the resurrection in Jesus was coming, we don't know which They were proclaiming, but either one was unsatisfactory to the Sadducees. They had doctrinal issues. So they come upon these men in a very public setting, in a very intimidating way, and what do they do? They throw them in handcuffs, and they put them in prison. And we think, really, guys, you couldn't just break up the crowd And pull these guys aside, tell them to show up next morning at a hearing where they can evaluate their beliefs. No, they they wanted to wield their power through intimidation. It's a weapon of this world. And it continues the next morning as Peter and John are called to stand before these men. And the scriptures tell us who is there, Annas and Caiaphas are there. Annas is the former high priest. Caiaphas is the present high priest. Caiaphas is Annas' son-in-law. What's interesting about these guys being named is these guys, flip back to John 18, these guys were party to Jesus' trial, to Jesus' execution. We don't know who John and Alexander are, the rest of the men there, but this was an intimidating setting. Peter and John are brought into this room. All the members of the high priestly family are there, and they set them, Luke tells us, in the midst of them. It's thought that it was some kind of semicircle, and and literally Peter and John are in the middle of them. 
This is meant to be an intimidating setting. It was meant to convey all the weight, all the gravitas that it could convey. I mean, the, the only thing we can think about in terms of our context is appearing before the Supreme Court of the United States and doing such in a way where they're all around you with their robes on and they begin to accuse you. By what power or by what name did you do this? Referring to the healing of the lame man. And they knew the answer to this question. For heaven's sakes, that's why Peter and John spent the night in jail. Because the name of Jesus was being invoked. The name of Jesus, the man they had just taken care of months earlier. But they knew that having Peter or John say it directly connected them to a man that they had just hung for blasphemy. Why did you do this? We can imagine Peter and John, and they're human. They're not supermen. They're human, and they're standing in this intimidating setting before these men who had hung their Savior on a cross. And they had a choice to make. They knew the possibilities. They knew what could happen to them. And so how are they going to answer this question? They could have just said, in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by Him were these things done. It would have been true, right? It wouldn't have been a lie. It would have been true. It would have avoided, maybe it would have avoided some of the the tension that was in the room, some of the possible consequences that were out there. And maybe they just hadn't learned the art of American politics. Because you all know that we try and pin down our politicians on a host of things, and yet they have this uncanny way of evading the question, of answering another question Instead, that wasn't it. These men knew that the weapons of the world, intimidation, threats, the possibility of suffering, even death, were no match for God's promises and God's Spirit. And so, filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us, they spoke the truth. The full-on, in-your-face truth with a boldness that astonished all of those who were watching. You want to know who did this? It was Jesus who did this. The the man that you killed, remember him? The man you rejected, the one who rose from the dead, the one who is the cornerstone, your promised Messiah who you don't acknowledge. By him and him alone is this man walking. Oh yeah, and by the way, There is no salvation in anyone else but this man. The silence in that room must have been deafening. This wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, they had just intimidated these guys, they had just backed them into a corner. They had flexed their Jewish muscles and this is what they get? 
two common, uneducated men standing in the face of the powers of the day without any fear? When the Scriptures say that Peter and John were uneducated, it doesn't, say, it doesn't mean to say that they were dumb or that they weren't even educated. What it's saying is that they weren't educated in the rabbinic tradition in the channels that all of these teachers and all of these uh, leaders in Israel had been trained in. And suddenly these guys are speaking like they know the Scriptures, like they know God. It's an amazing scene when you think about it. All while this is happening inside the walls of the Sanhedrin outside, exponential growth is occurring. In chapter 1, verse 15, we started out with 120 believers. In chapter 2, verse 41, we're told that 3,000 people came to Christ. And now in verse 4 of chapter 4, 5,000 men, not to speak of the women and children, have come to Christ. We've got maybe 10,000 believers now. In the space of just a few days, you see the weapons of this world are no match for God's Spirit and God's promise. And Peter and John believed this, and so they spoke boldly. And these men in particular, those who had been in the inner circle of Jesus, they had the words of Jesus ringing in their ears. The words of Luke chapter 12 where Jesus says this, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges Me before men the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of heaven. But the one who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, oh, it's happening, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Maybe they even remember Jesus' words to them in Matthew 10, where He said, Have no fear of them. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I will also acknowledge before My Father who is heaven. You see, these men knew God's promise. They knew of God's power. That was just confirmed to them as the Holy Spirit had come upon them in power. Now I know that you sitting here today, that we in this room are not called to be apostles. We're not in the same situation as Peter and John were. But we are called to bear witness. We are called to bear witness, to give testimony to the hope that lies within all of us. And so we need stories like this. I need stories like this. I need reminders of the truth of God's power through His Spirit and through His Word in the face of the weapons of this world that get wielded very flamboyantly before us. 
but there's no reason to fear. See, I think there is this built, I don't think, I know that there is this built-in fear of man that we all struggle with to various degrees. We struggle with it in a lot of areas. But we struggle with it particularly in speaking of Jesus. But not in the same way that these men had a tinge of fear or had a temptation to fear, but we fear embarrassment, we fear ridicule, we fear maybe harassment, broken relationships. And yet the Scripture reminds you this morning of Proverbs 29-25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is hard. This is hard. Those verses about Jesus denying those who deny Him, those are hard. It's hard to speak of the name of Jesus, the exclusive name of Jesus in a world where everything is tolerated except for the fact that there might be one way to God. I'm not saying it's easy, but our day is really no different than Peter and John's day. In Peter and John's day, you could believe anything you wanted as long as you were willing to add to it. As long as you were willing to worship the emperor as well as whatever you wanted to worship. And yet how easily when I get into situations, when we get into situations, we become master politicians and we take the road most comfortable, the road most comforting. And we forget Jesus' promise to His followers in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Not only that, but this passage reminds us that the persecution, the suffering, the challenge against our faith by the weapons of this world only ignites the work of the Spirit in those around us. It's what happened in the early church. It's what happened throughout the church. As the early church follower, uh, as the early church father said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Story after story after story could be told of this truth working itself out in history. But it's our encouragement today that the weapons of the world, intimidation, threats, embarrassment, suffering, harassment, are no match for God's Spirit. Well, that's the first truth, but let me close with two practical things from this account that I want you to take away from. And the second truth is this, gospel boldness. That's what I long for in all of us. Gospel boldness comes 
from being with Jesus. Gospel boldness comes from being with Jesus. I love what they say about Peter and John at the close of verse 13. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, these men had spent the last three years of their lives devoted to Jesus. They had listened to Him teach to the masses. They had seen Him care for the outcasts. They had seen Him counsel the hurting. They had seen Him invite the little children to come to Him. They had seen Him challenge those who think they knew it all. They had heard Jesus pray. Can you imagine listening to God pray? And that was all just what they soaked up by osmosis, not to mention that which Jesus intentionally poured into them. And so as these men are standing in this weighty room with these leaders, the aroma of Christ is thick. As I read, that, read this passage, and I thought about this passage, boy, that's what I want. Isn't that what you want? For the aroma of Christ to be thick wherever you are, you need to be with Jesus. You need to be in His Word. You need to be filled with His Spirit. And there's no doubt that what we have here in Acts chapter 4 is an amazing supernatural filling Peter is reaping the rewards of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in power and he is emboldened to speak the name of Christ. And then the disciples at the end of this passage, they pray again for boldness and the Spirit comes again upon them in power. But brothers and sisters, you too have been given God's Spirit. He lives in you who are Christ. It's given to you. He is given to you that you might be bold. And that's why Peter, or that's, excuse me, that's why Paul said to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in this way, the command for you to be with Jesus is already done to you. Because He is with you by His Spirit. Hey, what did Paul tell the church in Ephesians? He told them to be filled with the Spirit. Continually to be filled with the Spirit. And then he told the church in Colossians, that parallel passage, to let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. Bottom line, you can't walk with Jesus in the flesh like Peter and John did. Oh, we wish we could. But you can hear Him every day. As He speaks to you by His Word, you can learn from Him. You can be challenged by Him. You can even hear how He prays. And so gospel boldness comes from being with Jesus. And then finally, we'll end with this. Gospel boldness comes from resting in God's sovereignty. Gospel boldness comes from resting in God's sovereignty. A huge portion of this passage that we read this morning is a prayer. It's a prayer of trust. It's a prayer of boldness from God's people. Notice how it begins. Sovereign Lord. Notice what it affirms. You made everything. 
And then they quote Psalm 2 as coming true. The kings of the earth set themselves against His anointed. But it was futile because even they were instruments in Your hand, O Sovereign Lord. Notice what it asks for. Continued boldness in proclamation. It doesn't say anything about taking away the threats. Taking away the weapons of the world? No, it just says, just give us strength to keep going. To proclaim your word, to proclaim your truth. There's a story about an early Christian preacher, Christostom, the golden mouth one, they called him. And he was arrested by the Roman emperor at that time and The emperor demanded that he recant. Chrysostom refused, and so a conversation ensues, according to history, between this emperor and his advisors. And he says, shall I put him in a dungeon? The emperor asks. And he says, no, one of his counselors replies. For he will be glad to go. He longs for the quietness where he can delight in the mercies of his God. Well then, he shall be executed, said the emperor. And the advisor answers, no, for he will be glad to die. He declares that in the event of death, he will be in the presence of his Lord. Well, what shall we do then? The ruler says, there's only one thing you can do to give him pain. Make him sin. He is afraid of nothing except sin. It's an amazing story in church history. One that is followed by dozens others. One that follows this story right here of of Peter and John and the boldness that they had in the Gospel. Because they had been with Jesus because they trusted in God's sovereignty, they cried out to be filled with His Spirit. And they knew that the weapons of this world were no match for the truth that they spoke. May the same thing be said of us. May we be given boldness in the Gospel. We are not peddlers of a product, friends. We are ambassadors for the life-giving message of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for those who have gone before us, Peter and John, indeed, that great cloud of witnesses which cheer us on, so to speak, as we run the race set out before us. Father, we desire to be a church of bold gospel witness bold gospel witness that is firmly grounded in the truth of who you are and of what what you promise and the power of those promises. So Father, we pray, I pray for your Spirit to fall upon us, to give us that fullness of life in Him that would seize every opportunity, that would make the most of every opportunity for the sake 
of the gospel for the sake of the glory of your name. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.